Have you heard about the new MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle? The MagnaGrip Pro Nozzle is the easiest, most advanced nozzle ever, protecting you from the dangers of diesel exhaust fumes. With its patented flex magnet technology, the Pro Nozzle easily attaches with one hand from a standing position, can snap on from any angle, and fits flush to the apparatus, saving a ton of space. And MagnaGrip is the only exhaust removal system that offers a true 100% seal. For free grant assistance and to learn more, go to magnagrip.com. Welcome to Politics and Tactics tonight. It looks like our intro's not going to play, but that's okay. We got a great show for you. We got Sam Villani and we got Dave Polikoff. Uh, we're going to talk about some complicated fires tonight, but I want to talk about one issue that's kind of complicated as well. That is, the President of the United States gave the State of the Union address the other night, and he talked about having the hard talk. The hard talk for individuals who happen to be brown or black, but that hard talk of what to do if a police officer pulls you over is a talk that my father had with me. It's a talk I've had with my son. It's a talk that is given in driver's education classes. You know, we have to realize that, yes, the police need and the fire department, we all need quality training, and police should do everything possible to de-escalate a situation. But there's some civic responsibility that comes with that, too. You know, what do you do when you get pulled over? I want everybody to think about this. Cops get nervous, too. Think about when you get a call for a working structure fire with a kid trapped. You feel that tension. You feel a little bit different than you feel when you're going to an alarm bell call. Right? It's there. The police officer feels that when they pull somebody over. So if you get pulled over, regardless of your race, that's an American issue. We owe it as citizens to try to de-escalate along with the police to roll down your windows, turn down your interior lights, and get your hands on the steering wheel and leave them there until the police officer gives you directions. And that's my public safety tip for tonight. Um, let's go to Dave Polikoff who will start our conversation off with Sam Bellani about complicated fires. Go ahead, Dave. We've had, when I say we, I still say we, even though I, I retired from Montgomery County, they've had uh, some series of fires lately. And, and in Frederick, we've had a couple of, uh, of uh, complicated fires. When I say complicated, out of the ordinary, the, the, the not quote unquote bread and butter room and contents fire, but something that, took, you know, more than your standard box alarm. Um, there was a lot of thinking, uh, rescues that had to be made, uh, decisions that had to be made on the fly. Um, I know uh, one of the ones that, that we'd like to talk about, uh, the first one that uh, Sam was actually the battalion chief on was a, a single family uh, split foyer or split level. I'm not sure I'll let Sam get into it, uh, that he had a month and a half ago which uh, resulted in uh, rescues being made. So, Sam, why don't you go ahead and kind of walk us through, you know, the time of day, the type of structure, the type of neighborhood, because we've had fires and I've had fires in that particular neighborhood, and uh, what the uh, men and women in the 4th Battalion were up against, 4th and 3rd Battalion, were up against when they got there and, and, uh, and, and the, some of the tactics that needed to be used, some of the out-of-the-box thinking. Yes, so um, you hit the nail on the head with like that area. I mean, I, I was I've been using overusing the term lately, but I, I say that Veers Mill Village area, um, twenty one twenty five border, uh, is it has it's known for wicked fires. We've had some really wicked fires there, uh, some fire, firefighter close calls, uh, lots of loss of life. Um, you know the one where they had to do the the window cut down to to remove the trapped occupant. I think I think it was Irish Court. So I mean we've had some crazy ones. You know they had the one fire that um, actually RJ was on, um, where they thought the lady may have been killed by her son. Uh, 
prior to the fire being set or, you know, I mean, there's, it, we, that area is just crazy. So not unlike. Both those fires uh, were on Irish school. court, by the way. Both, both, both those fires right. were on Irish court. Yep. Uh, and you mean allegedly nuts. killed her son. Yeah. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> yes. And <laughs> so um, not to disappoint, you know, we were going down the road, getting reports, uh, multiple calls, uh, reporting um, working fire, people trapped. One well reported one occupant still in, and another that had returned in to to go in to uh, rescue the the person that was trapped. W- what it ended up being um, changed a little bit, but at any rate, get on the scene. We know we have um, you know a working fire fire coming out of the basement of a of a three level split foyer. I say basement, ground level, whatever you want to call it, but. You had to go down from the front door, um, you know, uh, and, and the window that this fire was bailing out of was, was almost at ground level. So anyway, bottom level of a three-level split foyer, room off, um, occupants trapped on the uh, upper level, on the third level, so second floor. As you walk up, um, walk in, you walk to the right and up, and the bedrooms are in there. So anyway, um, show up on the scene, have uh, basically – one engine and one truck operating by themselves for a couple minutes. Uh, the engine does a really good job of um, giving it, I say giving it a dash, like a, you know, a, a short duration application of water to dark, darken the fire, keep it from getting, it was, it was heading to the attic, it was heading to auto expose into the, into the first floor. Um, so they cut that off and then they immediately went in, went up the steps and started uh, searching for this trapped occupant. Um, while they were doing that, the second do engine finally got on the scene, went around, uh, stretched in, got themselves in a really good position, and put out the fire, which took care of the problem. Um, independent thought that was confirmed uh, early on, uh, you know, basically he said, hey, I'm in place. You want me to get it? Yeah, you got it. And uh, basically, um, you know, it was a, a lot of clutter. Uh, we had a the, – First do truck uh, had you went in and did a you know a vent enter search thing. Uh, they vent enter searched into a room that was cluttered and used storage. Um, they got out into the hallway, found the first occupant, and then uh, a subsequent uh, VES by the uh, actually the fellows at Rockville uh, found the second uh, occupant. So just a lot going on. It's one of those fires where you wish you had like at least twice the number of hands uh, to manage it. And you know had a, had a few sets of hands, a lot of stuff going on at the same time. We were getting uh, some erroneous reports of, of a caller being on the line ended up not being the case. So just a lot going on overall. Sam, for our listeners, when you say that the second engine company, you know, radioed back to coordinate that they got it, are you saying that they went around the back of the structure and they had at level access to the basement, like through a walkout door or a yes. Velcro door? Yeah. So instead of, um, you know, instead of backing up the first engine, the first engine was, was engaged in the rescue and the fire needed to go out. The quickest way for that to happen was with that second engine doing exactly what they did. Everybody fell into place. It was, I would, I would call for something and it would already it's either in progress or it's been completed. So everybody was on the hop. Uh, everybody really had um, solid tactical, tactical discipline, especially that second engine. And, hey, listen, we're, we've got a hose line. There is a uncontrolled fire here. People are operating above it. And uh, they were able to get around there quick and stop it. We, it, it, it actually saved it from getting into the uh, main level. Um, it had started coming up the stairs, so it, it stopped the, the fire from Block and egress for the rescues, and it uh, kept us from burning the attic off. I mean, that we, you know, they hooked, they hooked it pretty good, and uh, everywhere we looked was, was, you know, it almost like literally, uh, there, that, that quick action early on in the incident, and then the subsequent extinguishment by the second engine changed the tone of that incident. It, it could have gone a lot worse, uh, and uh, everybody did a great job. So. So, Sam, the first new engine company that gave it the dash, when they came into the foyer, are we talking about an enclosed staircase with, like, a door that goes to the basement? Or are we talking about a split like most people would see in a split-level house or some townhouses where that 
staircase that goes to the basement is open. What what were they faced with? Yeah, everything was open. Yeah. So um, hey, did that know, line? Really, did really that good. line? Did that line proceed past the opening when they were protecting the stairs and the truck was searching after they dashed? Yes. Where did they? Did they kind of hesitate there because I think that's a that's a valuable lesson with a with an open staircase. There'll be a tendency to hit the fire quick and then advance your line. In this case, you'd want to give it the dash, but kind of hold the staircase and not descend and let the other company put it out, but don't leave that that's position until that other line is in place. Can you kind of talk about that? That's exactly what happened. Yeah, that that, that was the move. And um, it's nice when, you know, you've got – Again, it's one of those uh, – the first four or five companies that arrived had optimal players, uh, optimal company officers who um, – they're like us. You know, they, they, they're, they're students of the craft, and, and they – just top-notch. And uh, they all showed up and did, did exactly what needed to be done. That whole play, I didn't have to ask for it. I, I basically just confirmed it. They, they, were, already in, they were already doing it. And um, the companies had, had seen... great discipline to, to do that because that's one of the issues that I see is they want to on that open staircase with a basin fire, they want to hit it and they want to proceed to where they think they need to go, where that's where they need to go. Dave Polikoff, you want to weigh in on that? Because I, I think that's a point that, you know, your crews did a great job and we really want to kind of hit upon that because I think that's a learning lesson that people could pick up from. Yeah, I think it's important for to understand, and, and as we move forward uh, in the fire service, we recognized, and, and Montgomery recognized, uh, I think, I want to say back in 2017, when they changed their uh, their response policy, the, the whole key was fast water, uh, meaning get water on the fire as fast as possible in the quickest way possible. If that means opening it up and shooting it through a window real quick to knock it back so you can make uh, into the into the uh, into the the interior and finish the job. You do that if it's we've got a, an uncontrolled fire in the basement um, and there's a basement entrance. Then you you deploy a longer line. Um, you start attacking the fire at the fire level and uh, then you can deploy crews above. You know the, the the name of the game is we want to do our best not to make sure we have uh, firefighters operating above an uncontrolled fire and we want to make sure that we are getting water on the fire as fast as possible, um, not to, to overuse Andy Frederick's uh, saying that, you know, you put water on the fire, the problems go, go away. Um, but that's the case now. We recognize that if you get water on the fire as fast as possible, you knock, even if you just knock the fire back, you're creating your survivability profile for the occupants, you're buying them time so you can get in there and finish the job. You're cooling, you're moving the fire away, you're moving the heat away from where the occupants are. And I think that that's what, uh, what happened on, uh, on Oriental Street, if I'm not mistaken, Sam. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's – uh... And you know, I think we've all seen it go um, go the other way. Uh, you, you get so hyper focused on the rescue effort, and you're short staffed. Um, your your let's say it's a, you know your first two engines engaged engaged in this rescue. Maybe a second in, engine isn't coming for a few minutes, uh, or maybe a second engine isn't going to make it there until the roof's gone and the first and second floor are gone. Um, we were just very lucky. Uh, again, re, where that is is like damn near. In, right dead in between two com two companies, the first and second arrived. And so um, those folks had, to, you know, it's one of those things. Those folks had the best shot uh, for a successful outcome. Um, but unfortunately, uh, the, the two we rescued didn't. Um, one made it a few days and the other uh, didn't make it through the night. So pretty pretty tragic stuff. But uh, not, not for lack of effort. These folks really, they really did it. Uh, I couldn't be more, more proud of them. No, and the fire attack doesn't sound like luck. It sounds like they were prepared and everybody arrived close quarters and was able to coordinate the attack through through command. Would you would you agree with that? I mean, this comes down to training in your SOP. Uh, no, absolutely. With the, with yeah, these are these are the folks these are the folks that are that are out there doing it. Training, um, you know, they're 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 firematic. They're in 
in, into the job, not just on the job, and uh, it, and it shows, uh, and it's just it's nice when they all come. You know, it, you know how it works. You could any any given Sunday, you could have any given uh, mix of folks, depending on who's working and who's off, who's on vacation, and who's sick, and uh, ended up with the with really t- really top notch folks on the, on the first basically the first alarm was 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 stacked with just talent <laughs> it was pretty awesome i mean that that is tremendous Let, let's stick with the the basement stairs thing for a little bit because because that's a, a complicated fire so so let's take that same fire but instead of having grade level entry you have a bilco door you're still better off if you have a company's arriving close, you know, a minute or so from each other, you're still better off going down that Bilco door. Think about it. The stairs from the Bilco door are generally going to be made out of cement. If they're not made out of cement and they are traditional stairs, there's nothing stored underneath them. You're usually only talking about six stairs, and they always terminate on the outside wall. In contrast, the interior stairs of a traditional house is going to be at least 12 stairs down, in some of the older New England homes and Midwest homes, the stairs actually make a right-hand turn onto a platform at the bottom with two or three stairs, which further complicates your stretch. So Dave was talking about on Side Alpha Leadership the other day of how the importance are, is if you can get it at grade level or you can go down that bill code door and have that company that stretches to the, five, to the floor above to keep the door closed. There's no reason for them to be opening the door if they're not going to be descending. Keep the door closed, keep the line there, and kind of just be there to allow the search to take place. Dave Polikoff, weigh in. Yes, and, and, and that's – and like I said earlier, you know, as we move forward, as we start to, to analyze these things, I mean, Underwriters Lab has put out – a tremendous amount of information on uh, fire movement and, and hose line placement and things like that. But yes, if uh, if you're going to attack that fire at the lowest level, um, and, and I know in Montgomery's policy, Frederick's new policy, that you have to get eyes on that lowest level. You have to give that basement report over the radio. Um, you have fire in the basement. You have an entrance to the basement. You attack the fire at the lowest level. That next due company to the floor above. They, they make sure that the door is closed if there's one there, and then they leave it closed. Um, isolate that fire, allow the crews in the basement to take care of, of, of the fire itself, protect the stairwell, protect the search that's uh, either moving on that main floor or even on the floor above. But, uh, but it all comes back down to getting that line on the fire quickly, um, knocking that fire back gives, you know, that, that whole – you know, when you're talking about ReCOVS or you're talking about life safety, instant stabilization, property conservation, you're you're affecting that very quickly by knocking that fire back, extinguishing the fire. You're conserving property. You're you're able to to move in to affect rescues quicker. So it just all kind of comes in together, and all that comes through training, practice, getting into your policies, knowing what needs to be done, getting a good size up when you arrive on the scene, having good situational awareness giving information back to the incident commander um, so decisions can be made. And, and uh, it makes for a smooth fire, even when it's a hectic, hectic chaotic uh, scene, fire scene. Sam? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. This, you know, it, it's, since I've been in this battalion chief's uh, role, I've been, I've been working on, I don't know, ways to – Ways to use this um, the newest science-based tactics, right? Uh, so, so you know, without calling it transitional attack, giving it giving it a quick dash, giving it taking the sting out of it. You know, that, that's that whole Count Jobula joke. You know, I counted to ten on the radio on that second Belpre road fire because I wanted I had a perfect opportunity to demonstrate that ten seconds of water straight stream hitting the top sill of the window where the fire is issuing from almost at, you know, basically creates a a hundred gallon a minute sprinkler. And you do that for 10 seconds. You're taking this thing completely out of it and uh, you're, you're giving any occupant uh, an increased chance of survivability as your search companies are making their way up there. This is a top floor fire. They're doing this while the search companies are sending the stairs. So the coordinated effort and, uh, 
but that's just an example of hey, how you know, I want to sell it. So these not only do they they realize, hey, listen, he's just not saying that. He's do, there's a reason for it, and and they had a perfect example. They were able to see the results immediately, and um, it, it helped. They pulled up a trapped occupant from that fire as well. Uh, she unfortunately succumbed some days later, but she was alive when you know they got her out and uh, were able to revive her. So so she was you know. This, all of this stuff happened, and, she, and we had a viable fire victim. And, you know, the, the the idea of, oh, we don't want to take those 10 seconds to put this water on fire and issue out this window, you know, it's going to take a time away from getting to the trapped occupant. That's, that's, that's farcical. Well, the fact of the matter is it takes a couple seconds to have the crew take their last look, even the truck crew, get on their knees, put on their mask, force the door, and go in and search. So right. it really – kind of self-coordinates itself. You're really – I haven't seen good companies, especially like in the city, where this is occurring where they're telling the truck company to wait. It just kind of naturally coordinates itself because you're not hitting it for that long. Right. Uh, Dave, we got a question that I want to address. and says, what if there's no access? into the basement and there are in the city that I worked in, there were a couple streets where they built houses with no access into the basement other than down the interior stairs. So my take on that is first line is going to go up to the stairs. You want to make sure, especially if the fire is rich, nobody vents any of the basement windows. Um, you want to kind of leave it rich. One line's going to descend the stairs. One line's going to stay at the top of the stairs but here's the key. Whenever descending stairs, take the extra couple of seconds to flake out your line. Your line should be charged. And make sure you have enough hose flaked out, even if you've got to push the furniture to the side, so that you know that you're going to make the bottom of the stairs. Take the nozzle, and instead of facing the fire because you're going down the chimney, face away from the fire. So you're going to kind of crawl down backwards with the nozzle and your goal is to get to the bottom of the stairs as possible. This is where you only want, in my opinion, you want one firefighter to take the nozzle. The officer feeds it from the top with the line already played out. Get that firefighter to the bottom of the stairs as quick as possible and then immediately follow them down the stairs. To me, that tactically is the best way to get down quick and extinguish the fire. Uh, Dave, weigh in. Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know, that's built into the policy. I know it's built into Montgomery's uh, uh, policy. You know, if if you have to descend the stairs, you know, then it's all communication. It's, it's you know, hand line ready, backup lines ready to go. Um, you're letting the, the uh, incident commander know that, that you're going to have to go down the stairs, and there's got to be that communication. Now, I had a fire. Um, a few years back when I was in the 1st Battalion, it was in, in Burtonsville area, and it was a townhouse fire, and it was a basement fire. There was no basement entrance. They had a couple of basement windows. Um, they went down the stairs. They couldn't make it. It was one of those stairs that goes down five steps, and then it takes a left and then goes down another five steps, and they couldn't make it around the left-hand turn to get to the bottom of the stairs, and the entire basement was on fire. They ultimately backed the line out, and they had to literally crawl underneath the deck to get to the basement window, and they took out the basement window, and they opened the line up, and they knocked the fire back enough that they could bring the line back around front and uh, and, and, and uh, advance back down the stairs. It was an in-unit townhouse. But uh, if there's no windows or there's no way to get any water to that fire, then it's got to be quick, and it's got to be coordinated. It's got to be something that you can go to your academies and you practice you know, getting a line in place, getting down the stairs as quick as possible, communicating back to command that you're in the basement, that, you know, you're you're uh, getting water on the fire or, or, or whatever needs to happen. Um, at the end of the day, you know, you can always go back to revert to old, old school. If you can't make the stairs, you cut a hole in the floor and you throw a resin into the floor and you, you try to knock it back that way. Now, Dave, a couple of things that I want to clarify, especially on coordinated ventilation you know we have people from all over the country listening here if you have a basement fire you come up say you're on the truck or say you're on the engine you bring the line you you got the basement window you could see the fire 
have some vent discipline. Yes, we want to give it that quick shot, but don't break the window until your line is charged. I've seen that happen before where you have a line that's going around the back of the building, going to make entry into the Bilco door. The line's not even charged, and somebody will come up and take out the basement windows. That's not coordinated ventilation. You need a line in place. If you're going to do that dash, that re- hit it real quick while that company in the back descends the Bilco door before they start extending, don't take the window until you have a line with you that's charged. Sam Bellani, you want to kind of weigh in on that? Yeah, actually, I got a funny story. When I was, uh, when I was at Rockville, you know, they were lieutenant there. I, I just left, and actually, RJ relieved me. So it was, it was a, it must have been like a Tuesday night. That was his. I think it's still his night that he uh, goes in and pulls duty. So he relieved me, and uh, my our, our a good friend of ours, uh, Dave's and mine, and you might even know him, uh, Scott Kittner, is the captain of Burdensville now. He was working there night side as the uh, company the career officer. So anyway, I'm about I don't know two thirds of the way home to Baltimore, and. Uh, they put out a fire, and those guys run it together. And uh, RJ's on the tower, and Kittner's on the engine, and you hear them on the tactical talk group. And this is like, you didn't hear this a lot yet. Uh, so this is like, you know, uh, let's say 2010-ish. And you hear RJ say, hey, let me know when you're in place. And um, what he had done was toss the ladder up to the second floor bedroom window and was on the ladder waiting for getting her to put the line in service. As soon as the line was in service, he said, all right, we, you know, let him know. And he took the win. They had all played out over the radio. And I was, I was so missed that I missed the fire to begin with. And then I was like, man, that, that, it was like textbook. And it was the way, the way it should go. Right. And uh, well, RJ said it went yeah, it was, textbook because you weren't there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <And that's>, <laughs> <laughs> he's, you know what? Back then, he's absolutely right. <laughs> oh no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, I know. I'm, I'm just know. kidding. So, so, so what you're saying, Sam, is all ventilation needs to be coordinated, controlled, and communicated. And if one of those C's is missing, we got a problem. Yeah, the days the days of the firefighter going around to the rear of a place and being like. I, I, I don't have anything to do. I don't have anything to do. Oh, windows, and I've got this, boom, and the next thing you know, they're taking, you know, they're, they're clearing sashes, right? And, uh, yeah, those days are long, thankfully long behind us. I think the discipline has gotten far better. That's, that's science-based. Uh, this science-based tactics are taught from, you know, day one now. So that's, that's good stuff. Now, Sam, to expand on that before I go back to Dave, um, okay, say you're the outside vent person or you're the firefighter that goes around back, and you got to – rocking room and contents fire, back of the house, heavy, dark smoke pushing out the front. The engine starts making a push. Fire's coming down the hall. They start flowing water. You really got to look at the situation because they're not at the seat of the fire yet. You may not want to take out the windows if you got heavy, dark, black smoke. Even if the engine's flowing water as they're making their way down the hall, wait. my take on this is wait until you see some sign of extinguishment. It doesn't got to be huge, but just some change in that back window that they're making the push before you take the window. And then when you take the window and you start seeing that great change, when you move, now you're at the fire room, now you're going to move towards the front of the house and continue taking windows, the line's in place. Don't just stop paying attention at that point and start taking windows. Take a little piece of the next window Give it a second and look to see what happens. If everything's good and everything looks like it's lifting and they got the line in place, you can hear and see signs of extinction, then clear that window. Then wait a second and repeat the same thing. You Just because just the line's operating doesn't mean that, okay, now I got the green light, I could just go around the house and take windows. Uh, Dave Polikoff, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I got uh, – I teach truck class, and, and I've got some great videos of some uh, – 1980s-ish, uh, early 80s-ish outside vent men from New York City um, sitting on the, you know, in, in these apartment buildings on the fire escapes, and, and you can see the fire through the window, and he just, you see him, he's just waiting there, and he's got his, his hook, and uh, as soon as you start to see the smoke change from that, that black color to 
starts to get a little grayish. You, you can see that there's some conversion. Then he takes the windows out. And I point out that the discipline and, you know, being able to recognize that water is actually hitting the seat of the fire, then you can go ahead and those windows. And what that does is, is when they start attacking the fire, they're creating that pressure of uh, that steam. It's expanding. Once they take the windows, it pushes everything out. So you get a really good lift in the room. So there is discipline. Like Sam said, the days of arbitrarily just smashing out windows because you don't have a thing to do, it's not what we do anymore. So it does have to be coordinated. Yeah. People have to understand that the engine and the truck company, and I call it the battery, and for people that don't understand what that means, it's a baseball term, the pitcher and the catcher, they work together. Same thing with the engine and the truck company. They work together. When the hose line's moving through, they start to hit the seat of the fire, even if they're on the radio, and we do this now, like I'm getting a line on the fire. They may say, you know, uh, Division One to command, I got water on the fire. That's a key to letting those crews know we can start venting the windows on the fire in the room that's, that's actually on fire. So it is that coordination. You've got the radio. We don't want you to talk on the radio, but we want you to, to give good transmissions, and that's a good transmission. I've got water on the fire. That's letting them know that we can start to open up. We can start to lift conditions. We can start to continue with the search. Now, Sam, another thing that important point for those truck guys to consider, especially if they're on a porch roof, I'm going to date myself here, but I saw it happen in Turk 182, and I was like, oh, that's kind of hokey. Um, however, it happened in New Haven. A uh, great firefighter, Dino Ferraro, a second-floor uh, window but on a porch roof, positioned himself opposite of where his ladder was, took out the window when the engine company made entry into the room, flowing water, extinguishing the fire, and then it was like a metal porch roof, like sheet metal porch roof. And as he walked across the window plane to get back to his ladder, the stream hit him, and he actually sailed and slipped on the metal, ended up coming down, and he got, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably kill this term. I think it's called a Liz Frank fracture of his ankle, and his bones came out of his feet, out of his leg. Um, which was very, almost ended his career. Um, so you got to remember that once you vent a window, if you're on a porch roof, you don't want to walk in front of the window you just vented. So kind of put in your mind of where your exit is and when you're venting the window. You want to weigh in on that? Yeah, I mean, again, it all boils down to that coordination. And, and you know, it's, it's important, important to share this stuff because, you know, we, we've got – a, a very young fire service, and we've got a lot of folks riding key spots. Um, every fire department across the nation at this point, who are waiting, chomping at the bit for the you know the opportunities, but they they don't have they don't have they, they've heard these stories, or maybe they haven't heard them, and it's we need to make sure they do hear them because they haven't run this type of fire yet. So that whole hey, you know, after you take the window, make sure you, you get in a guarded position. Don't stand, you know, don't try to enter that window or or, or, uh, or try to walk back across. You're going to get hit, you know. I mean, if, if they don't, they hear the story, maybe they'll have some kind of, like, you know, recognition prime uh, decision-making type stuff because they've listened to the story um, because they haven't had that experience yet. They, they, you know, this, oh, this, it's important to share this stuff. coming out. Wait, wait a second. The teacher in if, if any of our listeners didn't know, Sam used to be a teacher because now he's talking about recognizing Prime. And some people think he's talking about Transformers. Some people have no idea what he's talking about. Um, I, I was honored. He wrote, he, wrote a, he wrote a chapter in my book. So, so I know what he's talking about. So, so why don't you, you explain the term? Because I guarantee some people out there are like, Prime recognition, what is this? Yeah, it's basically um, in, in a split second um, recognizing what to do based on your past experiences, right? It's 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 basically like ra uh, random access memory. It's rapid access memory of our brain. So you've you've done these things before. You know, it's like talking about the the old the old chief knowing when to pull people out. You know, well, how did you know? I don't. I, he might not consciously know how he knew. But he had that hunch. Well, that hunch was actually, it's, it's that RPDM. It's that stuff that he was able to access. Um, and in the heat of the moment, he didn't know, consciously know he was doing it, but he knew he had to act. 
he made that act, then the building collapses, but he got everybody out. The, the right? I mean, that's, that's basically like what that, it is, that, right? Well, oh, absolutely. The older guys would call it a Rolodex. Kind of you, you have a bunch of fires that you kind of go back to that Rolodex, but nobody knows what a Rolodex is anymore. Most people think a Rolex is a watch, but a Rolodex used to be your, your phone your phone, your phone list that you, you spin around. Dave Polikoff, you want to give us uh, another complicated fire? Yes. So and, and just, just wrapping up what Sam said, and then we'll move on to, to something I had just recently. Um, you know, like Sam said, we've got a, a ton of, of people coming in now. I know in, in Frederick alone we're going to be hiring 75 new firefighters. Montgomery County is on a hiring kit. PG is D.C. So the fire service is, is getting young rapidly. And, you know, we don't go to the fire, the amount of fires that we used to. And the, the ones that we do go on, they start to get big and they get, you know, they can get complicated. So it's important for, you know, the, the senior guys uh, to, to get that information to the newer guys. Talk about the, the kitchen table is a great place. Just talk about old fires and what you did. And then that will go into the Rolodex. And for the young people, that's your contacts on your, your cell phone that will be able to, to bring that back up and say, oh, I remember him talking about this, and they did this, this, and this. Or I remember they had a fire, and they did this, and it didn't work, but they ultimately did this. That's how you, you, you get that, uh, that, that memory built up so when you come across this, you recognize it right away, and you can, you can put it into action pretty quickly. So fire service is getting young guys. We need to make sure that we're teaching the people when they come in because we need to make sure that we're leaving it, the fire service in a better place when, when we leave. Um, so to move on to, to one of the fires that I had uh, just recently, uh, about a month ago, uh, in my hometown, they, uh, they put a house fire out, um, and it came out as uh, fireworks in the garage. Now, it's January, so right away I'm thinking probably a BS call. I'm in my personal vehicle, and the fire's literally on the other side of the road, the main road from where I live. Um, and as I crossed over the main road, um, they upgraded to rescue, and by the time I was about a quarter mile away, I could see the fire over the top of the tree. So called for the, the rapid intervention dispatch, and I was the first one to arrive. Of course, all I have is my turnout gear. They came back and told me I had four traps. Uh, the fire chief pulled up right behind me. Uh, fortunately, the four that were trapped was uh, two people that went in and pulled a wheelchair-bound woman out and the, her husband walked right out behind her. So when we pulled up, literally everybody had just gotten out of the house, so they, they ended up not having any rescues. Um, but what we did have was an advanced garage fire, had four cars on fire, uh, two inside, or one inside, three outside, had a 35-foot boat. I don't know if you call that a boat or a yacht, but it was on the side of the house, fiberglass. It was on fire, and then the shed, that was attached to the garage on the Charlie side was on fire. So it quite a bit of fire and it was a, uh, a split, uh, a split level. And, um, luckily the engine company got there. The engine came with four, the truck came with three. Um, I immediately was able to put five people in play, two hand lines, one to the garage and then one to the, uh, to the inside. And, um, we had talked earlier with, with the fire that Sam was talking about, keeping the door closed. So we, we, we got to go inside and make sure that the door to the garage was closed while they were steadily, you know, extinguishing the fire in the garage. That's when the first line went. Second one went in to, uh, to make sure that we could hold the fire and check at the kitchen. Um, we did have some extension into the attic. The sad thing was is that it's a hydrant area, and we ended up running out of water, and we had to tactically withdraw. We didn't evacuate, but we tactically withdraw to the front uh, door of the house. Um, the problem was is that we dropped the split lay and everybody came in a different direction. We called our water supply. Everybody came in a different direction, so nobody ever picked up the first engine company's line. took um, a little bit of uh, time to get that all worked out. Luckily, the, the fifth new engine actually arrived third. They were able to give us water um, so we could get back in, but we because of how quickly the, the engine company did get there and how fast that they got two lines in place. We got, we, we held it at the garage, a little bit of extension into the attic. Um, a couple people went to the hospital, but everybody did survive. But it, it just, and this particular house ended up having um, a sub basement. And you don't see those that often in split level houses where you'll have 
you know, the main floor you come in, you have a floor up where the bedrooms are, and you got a floor down, and then there was another door that went to another floor down where the uh, utilities and everything were. And um, so it's just things that you guys need to look out for when you're running into some of your neighborhoods, when you're running your EMS calls, just to kind of be aware of of uh, the different types and styles of houses out there and the unique things that uh, that can be presented. Hey, Dave, question on that garage fire. Was It was an attached garage, correct? Yes. Was there a bedroom or a room above the garage? No, it was a uh, single-story garage attached to the house with a doorway to the kitchen. Um, so that was uh, fully involved, fire through the roof of that. And like I said, coming into the uh, the attic space of the kitchen, um, and like I said, we, we held it in check. Even though we did run out of water, we did hold it in check. Okay, so to break it down for the listeners, just so that we understand, instead of while, you know, we, we teach, you know, you want to go ideally and get that line in place between the victims and the fire, if you decided to take the line through the front door of the house and go, I assume, the kitchen in the back attaches to the garage usually, if you opened up that door, yeah, you could start extinguishing the fire, but you're going to let all those products of combustion and everything else extend into the house. So what you guys chose to do and girls is stretch two lines almost simultaneously. One was attacking the garage fire from the outside. The other line went to that door, didn't open it and just held it in the kitchen. Am I getting this straight? Cause I think that was a great move. Yeah, that, and, and uh, it allowed uh, myself, and um, one of the truck firefighters to go to the upper floor and do a quick search. Like I said, everybody was out, but we still did that primary search. But that metal door, that self-closing metal door to the, to, from the garage to the kitchen held. Um, and then once we got a good knock on the fire, we were actually able to open up that garage door and, and help them finish extinguishing uh, what was left of the garage. And, and truck companies got in there pretty quick, dropped the ceilings in the kitchen and the dining room, got lines up in the attic and, and – uh, you know, the fire itself looks spectacular. There's good pictures of it on, on the fire department's website. But uh, we really held it to the garage just a little bit into the attic space. So everybody worked really well, very aggressive. Um, like I said, a little bit of water snafu. But, uh, you know, we recovered pretty quick. And uh, we were ultimately allowed to get to have three lines flowing. We had a line up on the second floor, making sure there was no extension. There was no nothing going on in the basement, uh, the garage, and then on the main floor. What was the water snafu? So that particular area is, is an older area of the uh, of Eldersburg area where I live, um, and the hydrants are every thousand feet. Most hydranted areas, they're anywhere between every in the city area, they're like almost every three hundred feet. Um, in the suburban area, it's usually every five hundred feet. This is a very older area of of where I live at, so the, the hydrants are every thousand feet. And uh, it was a split, and we were between two hydrants, so we were at the 500-foot mark. So we split coming into the, the road and told them to pick up the line and take it to the hydrant, which was about 500 feet down the street. Um, the uh, the company that was supposed to do that came in a different direction. Um, they ultimately got back around, came down, picked up the split, and got it down there. But at that point, we had uh, run out of water. One of the saving graces is the two engines that are at the volunteer house. One's 1,000 gallons of water. The other one has 1,500 gallons of water. So we had enough water to put a good knock on the fire to keep it from getting back in the house while they were fixing the water situation. Sam, so what what I'm getting out of this is water supply was complicated because hydrants aren't overly abundant where Dave lives. Would that be correct, Sam? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, it's... um, there are neighborhoods, uh, you know, where I've worked, where Dave has worked, um, I'm sure even in New Haven, where the companies would, would kind of call out sometimes, um, hey, listen, I'm coming in from, uh, you know, the Georgia Avenue side or whatever, uh, or, hey, truck, go around, you know, such and such a street. Basically knowing, hey, I'm coming in from this direction. The second engine's going to have to pick up my line. The first truck is best to come around because they can. And it's not it's not going to delay their arrival, but come in from that opposite direction, nose in, and and then you know nothing's 
everything else can can be built around that, you know. Um, but yeah, it's 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 important that whole split thing. You got to you know it's communicated stuff. Hey, I, um, I've heard guys uh, even recently on fires. Hey, um, pick up my line at you know forty nine oh six A Street. Um, you know it's it's right right there uh, right there at the corner of A and B Street. You know, like giving them really good heads up. Hey, not only did I drop this, I need you to pick it up. Um, but but this is exactly where it is, and then they you know you get the acknowledgement too. So hey, not not only did I say it, uh, you 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 acknowledged you heard it. And one of the the issues that we run into, um, especially in in a, a county that's predominantly volunteer, um, it depends on how quick units get out the door and get on the fire ground channel. And that was the problem is the guys got out really fast, uh, switched over to the fire ground channel, called their hydrant but the second new engine company hadn't gotten out of the firehouse yet. So they didn't hear the layout. So it's, important. Ah. and I drill it into my guy. Well, I drill it into my guy's head. I said, look, especially when you're running with mutual aid, you need to say, I'm going to be dropping a line or whatever, you know, you know, engine so-and-so to Carol, tell my water supply when they check up to pick up my line. So you need to put that back on them to make sure that that information is being relayed. So when that unit comes up, your second due engine company might not be your second due. They might not get out, and your third ends up moving to second. So there's a lot of moving parts. It's also imperative that the chief or the command officer that's running is listening to all this stuff, making sure that his water supply instructions are getting delivered, um, either through communications or it's being reiterated, hey, engine so-and-so, you're now going to be second due because the second due hasn't marked up yet or you're going to beat them in, but you need to pick up the line here and take it to there. So there was a lot of moving parts of that fire. You know, when we arrived on the scene, it went from rescue to four rescues to, you know, we're sorting this out, that everybody's out of the house now. Still got to do our 360, check the basement. And, um, you know, the water supply was called, but the second due hadn't gotten on the fire ground channel yet. So that information was missed, and it was never really repeated back. So it's important when when you are running in areas where, even though you have a specific dispatch assignment, it's going to be the order of arrival as opposed to order of dispatch. So those are things that you need to take into consideration. Dave, so what you're saying is scarcity, just like the free market, when something's scarce, it's more valuable like the hydrants. Sam, um, we did a show at Dave Polycloth, Chief Polycloth's house, Scott Evans and I, detective from D.C. Fire who's chief of Rockville, we go to Dave Polycloth's house. We're like, wow, Chief Polycloth invited us to our house. And the other thing that was scarce was he didn't feed us. Poor me and Scott. <laughs> Scott Evans was withering away. No food, just like they had no water. And we really found out how valuable food was because we had to leave. And on the way home, we, Scott, my son, we had to stop at, a, at a, some crab shack, which was great, and have a couple of beers and Talk about the scarcity of food at Dave's house. I mean, Sam, do you go over to Does he ever even order you a pizza, yeah. or is it like water supply where he lives? Listen, man, I'm looking for my redemption invite to now that he's got that gazebo all built out. He's got his deck all, his backyard all beautified. I'm waiting for that invite to come to, uh, so I can maybe give him a, some uh, some redemption with, with you on that. <laughs> all right, there, well, there's always going to be, there's going to be some beer. <laughs> there will be something to drink because there's there's an abundance of liquor stores in, in the uh, in the town. <laughs> and, and I want to be perfectly clear: this is not a reflection on Mrs. Polycloth, who is an angel and a saint in my eyes. So this is purely in, a reflection indeed. on Dave. Okay, so I just want to make sure that's perfectly clear in this conversation. So when she hears this, she's like, "What? Nope, it's your husband who doesn't feed us." But uh, I think we look forward to that, Sam. Um, hey, yeah, I got a, a complicated fire that you kind of kind of uh, sparked my imagination on that I, I want to bring up about uh, water supply. So you, you talked about, you know, picking up a line, which is essentially you're talking about a split lay, right, where the engine company lays a line, but there's no hydrant, and then somebody, you know, they wrap it around a telephone pole or put it around the, the car tire, and then another company picks it up and goes to the hydrant. Is that correct? Exactly. Situation in an apartment fire. There was no hydrant uh, close by. I did a split lay. 
announced it on the radio. I was boss on the engine company. And we stretch up. I get 50 feet, you know, right, almost right outside the apartment. I flake the line out and no water still. So now I have my member outside, a new firefighter. Uh, matter of fact, my cousin, who's a battalion chief now, he's outside the room on the pipe and uh, the apartment door. So he's in a common hallway that goes straight down the whole apartment complex. He's on the second floor, and he's outside the shut door. And I tell him, stay here. I'm going to go address the water supply issue because I needed to figure out why we weren't getting water. There was just a little bit too much of a delay. So I go downstairs. Uh, Mike Pazika was a lieutenant on the other engine company. He said, we got it straightened out. Go. So I follow my line up, and now I got heavy smoke in the hallway, banked down. I'm like, oh, he went into the apartment. So we still didn't have water at this point. So I'm following an uncharged hose line to the door that's still uncharged. As I'm coming into the apartment to find the pipe firefighter, the line gets charged. So make a long story short, firefighter does an unbelievable job, puts out the fire, does a great job. Okay. So afterwards, when we're talking about this fire, I said, Joe, you know, what, what happened? You know, I told you to stay in the hall. And he said, well, Captain Duran, who was the captain on the truck, a great fire officer, told him to follow him in. So we kind of had the big talk, and I said, well, listen, okay, let's think about this. So the truck's going to do a search with no line. I have no problem with that. But they should go in and shut the door. You're outside because what good are you? If you have no water in your line, I said, so they're going to do a search. You close the door. You could put your light on the inside of the door to help them out while you're sitting there waiting. But I said, you, your job is just to sit there and wait, because here's the thing. If you go in without a charge line and the fire flashes, you have a flashover, you're going to be forced out. Everybody's going to be forced out and you're not going to, the chances are you're probably not going to stay with your line. I go, now let's do the scenario where you stayed in the hall and there's some kind of flashover or fire event. And now once you have water, you go in, you could probably save all of their lives. And everybody looked at me kind of funny. And then they were like, yeah, we get it. So I'm curious of what your take is on that, Chief Polykoff, of, you know, having that firefighter have the discipline to stay in the hall until they have their line charged. Um, but I, I don't fault my cousin because, again, experienced captain told him to come in without water. I think that was the wrong move. No, it, and it, it does. It comes down to discipline, and, and it, it'll prob- it probably goes back even further to, you know, the expectations yeah. and, and making sure that he understands that if I give you an order and somebody else gives you an order, you need to make sure that they understand I was told to do this. Hey, by the way, I don't have any water, and there's a fire in there. And if you're going to go in there and I don't have any water, I don't have any way to protect you. Um, we need our firefighters to be smart. We need our firefighters to be able to make quick decisions. And we need them to be able to assess the situation and, and know if it's a go or no-go uh, type situation without that officer, you know, being in their ear. The fact that you're saying, hey, I need you to stay here, when you come back, they still need to be right there because you may have to pull that line and go somewhere else. Maybe it's a different apartment. Maybe you got to go to the floor above. Um, but it all comes down to discipline, and I think that uh, we need to make sure that we kind of, you know, feed that prior to that call ever coming in, the expectations and the importance of, of, of if I tell you to do something, it might not sound right, and that's not the time to question. The time to question is when we're sitting at the kitchen table and we're talking about tactics and scenarios and things like that. So it all comes down to discipline and making sure that they understand uh, what, you, what you expect of them. Dave, I think you're 100% right. And I think that if he told, if he had that quick conversation with the captain and said, I was told to stay here until I had water. Now, if he had water, if he got water and the captain says, come on in with me, I would have had no problem with that. And I think because the officer was so sharp, I think that if he had that quick conversation to just say, I was told to stay here because I don't have any water yet, I think that would have used a teacher, Sam line, um, primed the captain's mind, and he probably would have said, we're going to search, stay here, come in once you get water. 
um, I would have been okay with that as well. But I think teaching your personnel that it's okay to have that quick conversation isn't being insubordinate. It's having that quick conversation. Tim, you want to weigh in on that? Yeah, and it's, it, you know, that goes back to the, the whole Leadership 101 thing, too, where, you know, you empower your folks to say something, uh, you know, uh, that uh, the whole career resource management thing going down the road. Hey, you got anything? You know, that kind of thing. Or they, they it's 2 in the morning, you're still wiping your eyes, you're pulling up, and you're, you're, uh, your linemen see something that you did not see. And, you know, the old school, they may not have said anything, or maybe they were told they went to say something, and the you know, officer told them to shut up. Um, you know, I, it's it's nice that they, these conversations happen because they they did they, they historically they haven't. So uh, even like you know going back to the ventilation thing, the, the whole coordinate you know we're, we're coordinating using our radios or face to face. We're coordinating putting this fire out. The whole the, the same thing. Our 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 discipline in our company is, you know, I'm going to communicate something to you. You're going to hold the line. I'm going to come back to you, and we're going to go get it. So, right, and, and how yeah, that man. conversation, how that conversation can go, which is which is very, my dog's going crazy, which is very, uh, which is uh, my neighbor just said welcome home. So that's nice. I just got back from DC. But uh, having the wherewithal and the communication skills with your officer is key. And I'm going to give you an example. When I was driving the front of the tiller truck, I got a new officer, and you know, I pull up, I, you know, I was a disciplined driver. I hit the fire block. I slowed down immediately, determined what side of the street the address was on, started to looking at which side of the street the wires are on, what's the trees look like. I go in slow. And I pulled up and I said, I got this. And it was the old secret where he had a jackknife to get in position. So I jackknifed it and I go, I got it. And the officer looked at me and said, no, we're going ground ladders. And I looked at him, and I said, I got. And before I even said, I got, he goes, we're going ground ladders. I said, okay. So that's really the end of the conversation. You give the officer a little bit of information that they may not have, but the officer's still making the decision. On this, the officer said, we're going ground ladders, so we threw ground ladders. Now, being the jerk I am, after the fire was out and we're doing the critique, I said, can I stick it? And he goes, oh, you're dying to, aren't you? So I got up and I stuck the building exactly where I wanted it to. And then after that, it wasn't just me being a jerk. He had confidence in me. And when I pulled up and I said, I got it, he would defer to me. But the lesson here is when I said I got it and he said no, I went with, with him. I didn't, I didn't fight him on it. Yeah, so conversation over at that so point. Yeah, we're, we're in the middle the of some conversation stuff. Conversation's over. So I kind of wanted to, to make that a little clear. That it's okay to give information, yeah. but then if the officer says no, you got to shut up and eat it, even if you're right. Polycroft, weigh in on that, and then we'll have Sam weigh in on it. Yeah, ex- exactly. Again, that kitchen table talk, that's where you can get the why and, and ask questions and things like that. But when we are, you know, moving forward into, you know, to advance into a fire or, or whatever it is that we're doing, the officer's got his plan going, and he's we're going to do this, this, and this. Now, if that firefighter sees something that maybe that officer didn't, he's obligated to say, hey, Cap, did you see, you know, X, Y, and Z? Um, and, and then he may say, yeah, yeah, I saw that. That's why we're going to do this, you know, that quick conversation. But if it's like, hey, stay here. Once the line's charged, then we'll move in. That's the end of the conversation. We don't, we don't debate, you know, about what we're going to do. Um, if you see something at home, you see something, say something. If, 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 as that firefighter, you want to make sure that the officer has all the information so he can make a good decision. It's the same thing with the incident commander. The incident commander ha- needs to have as much information as possible so he can put people where they need to be so we can continue with the plan. Um, most fires start off with, you know, we're making decisions based on, you know, imperfect information, and, and as we move forward, more and more information is coming, and relay, we're relaying that information quickly. But, uh, yeah, the time the time the debate is at the kitchen table, not in front of the door of the apartment that's on fire. Absolutely. There's no debate, just that quick conversation. Let's go around the horn because we're at the witching hour, and I'm on my fourth beer. So as I promised the late editor of fire engineering i never go more than an hour because i'm bound to say something stupid so last word 
Yeah, um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, keep keep tuning in. We'll keep we'll keep wrapping the mic here, and um, yeah, we'll talk to you all soon. Dave Polycloth. Yep, it's uh, it's it's good to actually just get your hands kind of dirty and talk tactics. We don't get to talk tactics that often, but uh, it is nice to just kind of break down some calls that we run and. You know, hopefully the people that are listening will be able to uh, to say like, hey, you know, I had a fire like that, or hey, it went like this, or maybe they'll come up to a fire and, and kind of hear, remember what we what we had talked about, and uh, maybe that'll kind of spark something that that prime decision making. Um, but uh, yeah, good conversation, good tactics talk. You know, this was great, and it's an honor to be on with both of you, and uh, I look forward to. The redemption in the gazebo at Cheap and Beer Whiskey, whatever Sam wants, uh, coming up soon. Uh, we'll be at FDIC coming up soon. Unfortunately, Sam won't be there this year, but we will miss him. Hopefully, he'll be in there next year. And uh, Dave Polycroft, you want to take us off? And that's it for Politics and Tactics tonight. Remember, check out FDIC and Fire Engineering. We'd love to see you at FDIC. And be safe and take care of each other. That's it. Dave, take us off. Have a good night, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.